Recently, I heard a rumor on Twitter, and when this podcast comes out, that rumor may have already been determined, whether it's true or not, that the new Canon EOS R5 will have 8K RAW. 8K RAW in a small mirrorless, I think it's a mirrorless camera, is pretty crazy. And truth be told, I hope I never use it. Hey guys, Blake Calhoun here and another episode of Almost Professional, the podcast about mobile filmmaking, indie filmmaking, really all things filmmaking. And today I wanted to talk about 4K video. I know I started this off talking about 8K and that all ties together. It's the race to the Ks. Does it really matter? Does it really have any merit beyond just trying to get people to buy new shit? That is a real question that I have been debating a lot recently, and it's not a new question. This comes up every year with new cameras, every six months with new cameras, but really is this kind of resolution necessary? And my answer, spoiler alert, is no, not at all. And now I'm approaching this from a pragmatic point of view, not a high-end visual effects point of view. That is a different matter entirely. Red has had an 8K camera out for several years. I've never shot with that. At our studio, we have a Red Weapon and it's 6K, which I've worked with that camera quite a bit. I also saw a rumor on Twitter. And of course, all rumors do come true, especially the ones on Twitter. However, I tend to believe some of these that I'm reading recently. And that is an upcoming Samsung phone, the model number escapes me right now, will include 8K video. Again, I hope to never use that. <laughs> I really do. From a production point of view, yeah, I mean, it could be kind of interesting to be able to say you're capturing that kind of detail. And I say say because oftentimes you're really not capturing that much detail. But post-production is my major hiccup. I use an iMac and it's about a two-year-old iMac. And depending on what kind of files I'm playing, you know, it'll play back 4K, no problem, especially compressed formats is when that's what most of us work with. And it'll play back Blackmagic 6K RAW and it'll play back the red 6K RAW. But those codecs are optimized, for lack of a better word, to play back in post-production. But even so, those files are mammoth. My God, they're big. And so your hard drive space gets eaten up. Your archival space gets eaten up. The project playback is much slower. You typically need to render more things. And here's the overall point to this. I've had the ability to shoot in 4K really since 2007. That's when, again, at the studio I work out of, we got a Red One camera. The original Red. I went to NAB with a buddy of mine, David Maddox. We stood in line and he had put down the, I believe at the time was a $1,000 deposit on a $17,000 camera would shoot 4K, which again, at the time was pretty miraculous, especially at that price point. Maybe at any price point, I can't remember. Time has flown since then, but nonetheless, I've had the ability to shoot 4K for quite a while. That's going on 13 years because NAB 2007 is in April. NAB 2020 is coming up. And by the way, I 
may be there again. I was there last year at the Filmic Pro booth. Not 100% sure yet. But anyway, I've had the ability to shoot 4K for years. And in all those years, even on the feature films I've done, on every commercial and corporate project, I have never once had a client request or a distributor request a 4K master. Not once. Now that is changing a little bit today. And I'm talking more on the movie side of things, which you may or may not have ever experienced. That is providing deliverables to a distributor. For the longest time, and I'm talking up until just the last couple of years, all they wanted was a ProRes HQ HD Master, 1080 HD. As an indie filmmaker, if you put your movies on Amazon, they don't accept 4K uploads at this point, not from indies. They do have UHD on there now. But if you are doing the distribution yourself through Amazon Prime, or I think it's called Amazon Direct Video, which I do several of my projects that way, they don't accept 4K. And then no corporate or commercial clients have ever asked me for a 4K master on any project I've ever shot. Now, let me be clear here, though. I do shoot 4K, and I love shooting 4K. 4K is what I think most people should be shooting in, especially for professional paying gigs. On YouTube and that kind of thing, it's not necessary, necessarily. And as a matter of fact, several of the biggest YouTubers out there, like Matty Hapoya, he shoots in HD, but what he does, and I know Peter McKinnon does that as well. He may not shoot in HD anymore, but I think he does. He shoots a lot of his stuff in HD, and then he just upscales it in Premiere Pro to 4K. And I do that on occasion, unless I'm running behind, because exporting a file out of Premiere Pro, what I use to edit, as HD, then re-importing it, and then upscaling it to 4K. While it's not difficult, it is just time-consuming. And then you're doubling your media on the export. Files get really big. And so I do that occasionally. I do because YouTube does tend to make the 4K files look better, especially if I'm doing stuff that I want to look fairly crisp online and have less artifacting or noise. YouTube does seem to encode those better. But again, those guys shoot HD and their stuff looks great. I shoot 4K and that includes on my smartphone. Everything I do in Filmic Pro is 4K, 24 frames per second unless I'm shooting high speed for slow motion. And in that case, I will shoot 4K 60, but anything over that, you've got to shoot HD. So 120 frames per second, which I do shoot that pretty often, that's all 1080 HD. But again, you can scale that to 4K for output. And Premiere Pro or After Effects, they have really good scaling engines. And that makes me think about the Arri Alexa. So the workhorse of the film industry, the Arri Alexa, pretty sure could be wrong on the spec, but I'm pretty sure it's a 2.8K sensor. Now I'm talking about the standard Alexa, not the large format camera or the Alexa 65. I'm talking about the main Alexa that has been used for years and that half the Hollywood movies you've seen are probably shot on that. That's not a 4K camera. It does shoot 4K. It upscales in camera from 2.8K to 4K. And you'll hear this silly talk on Twitter and even YouTube about, quote, these Netflix-approved cameras, unquote. People get excited because they buy a Panasonic SH-1 and it's Netflix-approved. That doesn't mean you can go out and shoot a movie and Netflix will buy it from you. Not at all. What it means is crews shooting work for Netflix, whether that's a documentary or a reality show or whatever it is, 
they can use those cameras. Netflix does not buy indie film from the guy off the street. They definitely go to festivals, or they did more the last few years, not so much recently, and buy projects. But if they like your project, they will buy it. It doesn't matter if it's on a Netflix-approved camera or not. Speaking of smartphones, I mean, Steven Soderbergh did a Netflix movie, High Flying Bird, shot on an iPhone. That is not a Netflix-approved camera. <laughs> Tons of their acquisition stuff was shot on, hell, mini DV, you know, SD, upscale, documentary stuff. So don't buy into all that stuff. While it's cool, yeah, I guess, that you can own a camera that is Netflix-approved, it doesn't mean anything. Unless you actually are working on one of those projects and you're doing second unit, perhaps, and shooting on a Netflix-approved camera. I mean, the Area Alexa is not Netflix-approved. Let that sink in. The whole thing about your eye is only able to resolve certain resolution at a certain distance is all true. I have a 4K TV. It's a 65-inch TV. And the HD stuff on that upscales and looks beautiful. As a matter of fact, my wife says this to me all the time, that the UHD, whenever we play a UHD movie, it doesn't look any different. It really doesn't. The main time I see a difference is when I'm watching ESPN or watching sports. And then some news, like live news. And that is perhaps because you're seeing it in 60 frames per second. That has nothing to do with the visual resolution, but maybe it just looks crisper somehow without the motion blur. But the point is, HD upscale to 4K looks brilliant, looks awesome. I recently did a video for the new Filmic Pro app called Double Take. And I think the app is really interesting. It's very cool. I think it has a lot of possibility, especially in mobile journalism or social media content, like for Instagram stories or TikTok. For me, I don't think I'll use it that much. I might use it for my YouTube videos. I did one where I put the camera as an overhead shot and I shot split screen. And so I got two shots at once and it's burned in like that. If you don't know what double take is, let me back up a second. It is an app that allows you to shoot with two cameras at one time. So you can get a wide and a tight, or you could use the front facing camera and shoot a selfie and a wide of what you're shooting. So you could do vlogging, but here's the catch. And this has nothing to do with Filmic Pro. This has to do with the hardware, the Apple device. It only does it in HD. So for me, that is a mild deal breaker. While again, I rarely, if ever, edit in 4K, and I never deliver in 4K, or if I do, I upscale, like I mentioned earlier, for YouTube. I always shoot in 4K because reframing and post-production has saved my hide countless times. And not only saved my hide, I actually plan ahead while I'm shooting. My short film, Miranda, that won the Filmic Pro contest, the narrative contest in 2018, I shot that in 4K, but I knew I was going to be doing a 2K delivery. And by the way, 2K is what pretty much every Hollywood movie is delivered as. And I'm fairly certain, I've heard this for years, but even though those movies are shot in 4K or 6K or 8K or whatever, almost all the visual effects are done in 2K. So I do think for visual effects though, having all the Ks can help for sure. But even so, they still do, like, like Avengers Endgame was all mastered in 2K. All the effects are done in 2K. Then they upscale to 4K for their DCP or whatever, however they send it out to theaters. But I digress. Reframing and repositioning and post I do on pretty much every video I ever shoot. For YouTube, for corporate, for commercial, whatever. 
The only disadvantage is if you shoot wider and then you push in in post, so you have 3840 by 2160 is 4K, but you're editing in 1920 by 1080, you can push in 100%. And actually more, up to 130, 150%, I find, without losing any visible quality. However, if you're trying to simulate a tight shot of a longer lens from a wider shot, you won't have the same lens characteristics and you won't have the same depth of field. The longer lens look would normally have a shallower look and it also would be more compressed. The images, like a face, will kind of flatten out some. But for shooting B-roll or product stuff, it works great. Even with interviews, most people will never notice that. So shooting in 4K, but then editing in HD or 2K or what have you, I do that all the time. But shooting in 4K and editing in 4K and releasing in 4K, rarely ever do that. And so while the Double Take app is kind of a deal breaker for me, just from that perspective, if I'm shooting with that split screen look, so I'm getting a wide and a tight at the same time, then it does work in many situations. Not every situation, because again, I would probably use that app more for B-roll. I don't do vlogging and I don't do really TikTok or anything like that. I'll post the occasional Instagram video or Twitter video, but usually I just pull it from my traditional 16 by nine shot stuff. If you follow me regularly, this podcast or my YouTube channel, you know that most of what I do is from a filmmaking perspective. And it doesn't have to be movie related. It could be just any kind of storytelling that has to do with more traditional ways. For instance, I don't shoot vertical video very rarely. And by the way, Double Take does do vertical, which is kind of cool, especially again for TikTok or Instagram. But 8K video, 6K video in 2020, I don't see the need for it. Obviously, if you want to shoot 6K or 8K for a 4K delivery, you can do the reframing, as I just mentioned, that would be great. But who are you doing that for? Who is watching 4K video on a regular basis besides high-end Hollywood kind of stuff, Netflix and Amazon, et cetera, and even those are kind of few and far between. And yeah, I probably hear a few people saying, well, what about future-proofing? Well, I mean, there's movies and TV shows shot 50 years ago that we still enjoy and watch today, and they can be upscaled or even enjoy them in their original playback, whether that would be SD or shot on 16 millimeter or what have you. I don't really think that's much of an argument anymore. And I've actually said that before myself, but as long as you're shooting 4K or shooting HD and upscaling to 4K, you'll be in pretty good future-proof hands. The bigger worry, totally different topic is formats. What do you save this in? As MP4s, as ProRes? All that stuff changes a lot. But a camera that shoots 8K, whether that's a new Canon mirrorless camera or a smartphone, thank you very much, but I'm not interested. And really the only people that are, are the manufacturers trying to get people to buy new stuff. They should work more on better dynamic range, better highlight roll off, and worry less about all the Ks. The big K numbers used to be the domain of red, but now it seems like every camera manufacturer is starting to get into that world. Again, they need to sell new crap every year. The cameras over the last five years are all so good, it's like you don't really need to upgrade. I know there's a lot of GH5 fans out there and that camera is, what, three years old? Going on four years old? At least three years old. And there are rumors about a GH6, which I'm sure will shoot 6K. But that GH5 is a workhorse. And again, there's really no reason to upgrade. Unless with the GH6, they add more functionality, more dynamic range, better low light. Oh, of course, better autofocus. We know Panasonic autofocus is pretty bad. But you get the idea. The camera manufacturers are more interested in the K game 
than the filmmakers. So as I often say, use whatever camera you have. I don't care if it's a smartphone or an Arri Alexa or a Red Weapon or the aforementioned GH5. Get out there and make your films. Don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Use whatever you can afford and whatever works best for you. Just keep making films. Don't wait to create. And really don't wait to create in 8K or 6K or 10K or whatever's coming next. <laughs> For those of you enrolled in one of my courses, in particular the Filmic Pro course, Filmic Pro has made a few updates to their app, including a redesign of their library, and they stopped supporting the Western Digital SSD wireless drive from within Filmic Pro. You can still use it, you just go through the iOS files app or files directory. And I've updated the course with those items, and if you haven't checked out my course or you want to learn more about Filmic Pro, I do have a course called The Complete Guide to Filmic Pro. And my other course is called Smartphone Cinematography 101. And I have another course coming soon. I've been talking about it for a little while. It's very close to being done. And it's a color grading course using LumaFusion. Information about all these are on my website at ifilmmakers.tv. I have an academy section. If you're interested, please check that out. I've got lots of cool product videos coming to my YouTube channel. I get tired of doing product reviews, I have to be honest. And so I'm looking at ways to make them more interesting from a storytelling perspective. Sometimes I do just have to do spec videos and it does this, it does that. But I would like to incorporate some different ways to make it not only interesting for you guys watching, but more interesting for me as the filmmaker because doing straightforward review, tech review videos, not exactly my favorite thing to do. So look for some new things from me in 2020 in the way that I am not only rolling out my videos, but in my approach to how I'm making them. This has been another episode of Almost Professional. I'm Blake Calhoun, your host. Thank you very much for listening. And I will look forward to talking to you in the next episode.